Um, you know, I, uh, I have four kids, and as a parent to four kids, there are several things that I've learned over the years, and one of the things that I've learned is that my kids' standard for certain things are a little different than my standards for certain things. So here's what I mean. Like, I'll tell my, my kids in the evening, I'll be like, hey, go, go clean your room or go put your laundry away, and then they'll come back out, and like, oh, I'm ready, and I'll, I'll go walk in there, and I'm like, wait... <laughs> you consider this a clean room? Like, I told you to put your laundry away, not put it on the floor. Like, I didn't tell you to let it hang. Like, their dresser drawers are still open and clothes are hanging out of the drawers. And I'm like, come on, guys. And then there's like, I'll tell them to go brush their teeth. I'm like, go brush your teeth before bed. And my boys especially, they're amazing. I love them. But they'll come back in and be like, yeah, that teeth are brushed. I'm like, hey, let me, let me check. And they'll smile. And like, I can tell by their breath almost immediately. I'm like, I don't know what kind of toothbrushing job you did. And over the amount of plaque that's still on your teeth. I'm like, listen, either I'm, I'm left with two options. Either you're lying or our definition of brushing teeth or cleaning your room or whatever it is, is completely different. Either you're lying or our standards for what it is you're telling me that you've done are completely different from one another. And I think sometimes there's this juxtaposition that I feel, and I think that some of us feel it when we read the Bible a little bit. Sometimes we'll read what the Bible claims, what the Bible teaches, what the Bible says, and it puts us in this weird juxtaposition of going, hey, um, I'm not sure, like, either, either this thing's not telling the truth or we've got different standards. And I think we especially feel that around this time of year, like around Advent. You know, we started Advent last week, and we're in the second week of it. We lit the candle for peace. And I think on this week in particular, sometimes when we read what the Bible says, it introduces a bit of tension in us. So I'm gonna address that tension, but before we do that, just if, if you weren't here last week, we've started our Advent series, lit the candles. I hope it wasn't the candles. Maybe it was the candles, I don't know. I blew the candles out. Maybe I shouldn't have lit them again, I don't know. But anyways, you know, we lit the candles last week, we'll lit them again this week, and you know, the idea of Advent, it comes from this Latin word, the word Adventus, which I was informed by my oldest son who's studying Latin right now that I mispronounced it last week. So I apologize for any Latin scholars if you were offended by my pronouncement. Uh, it's Adventus and it means arrival or coming. And so Advent describes the coming of Jesus. And so in Advent this time of year, it is, we do two different things. One, we intentionally remember. So Advent or Adventus it is this time where we intentionally remember the coming, the Advent of Jesus. But the second thing that we do this time of year is that we not only intentionally remember that Jesus came, but we also intentionally anticipate. There's this understanding that when Jesus came, he came for certain reasons, but then he gave us this promise that though he was leaving, that he is coming back. And so in Advent, it's not just remembering the first Advent. It's not just about the baby in the manger. No, that Advent is about intentionally remembering every aspect of Jesus' first coming, his ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, but it is also intentionally anticipating the fact that he said he's coming again. And so this time of year, we remember and we anticipate and we let our hearts be stirred with a longing for Christ to come. And we pray prayers, simple prayers like, come, Lord, come. Or if you've ever heard that word, Maranatha, it just simply means, come, Lord, come. It's this prayer we're longing for him to come to make it right. So we're going to start, much of our time together this morning is going to be around intentionally remembering. We're going to remember the first advent and remember some of the things that Jesus said during the first advent, and then we're going to end by looking and intentionally anticipating what it is that he's doing. So if you have Luke chapter 2 open, we're going to read from this real quick. Now, Luke 2, what's happening in the story here, last week, if you were here, you remember we looked, the angel showed up, 
She gives this message to Mary, and she tells Mary that she is going to give birth to the king of the world, that the Messiah is going to, she's going to be made pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and then she's going to give birth uh, to, to Jesus. And so in ch- at the beginning of chapter two, we see the actual birth of Jesus, and it's that Christmas story that everybody's seen. If you've ever been around church at all at Christmas, it's a baby in the manger, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then in verse eight, it switches from being in the, in the stable to being in the field. And that's where we're gonna pick up. So Luke two, starting in verse eight. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So this is the, the picture that's one of those quintessential kind of Christmas moments when we think of Advent or think of Christmas. You know, we often think of like, you've all seen the Christmas cards, you know, where there's like these nicely dressed angels in a bright shining robe and one of them's holding a trumpet and they're all like singing like a chorus or a choir together, you know, peace on earth. And it's like, man, this is, this is, this is not exactly what happened in this moment. <laughs> No, it says this angel shows up and the shepherds are terrified because it's suddenly this bright, shining being is speaking to them. And then it's not just one angel. It is the company of the heavenly host. The heavenly host is the army of heaven. Anytime you read in the Hebrew scriptures, you'll see the Lord called the Lord of the heavenly host. It's referring to the army of heaven. And so suddenly these shepherds are surrounded by an army of angels who are all just proclaiming glory, glory, glory to God and peace on earth. And regardless of whether we see it as a choir or as an army, so often we read this part right here and we go, oh, yes, glory to God and peace on earth. Glory to God and peace on earth. And we just, we cling to that. And you hear this message like all the time around the Christmas season, peace on earth. It's the proclamation of Jesus' birth, peace on earth. But if you're anything like me, honestly, I, I'll hear that and I'll, I'll like be thankful for it. But immediately there's this tension in my heart that as I remember what the angels proclaimed, I'll feel pretty excited about it until I start looking around at the world around me. <laughs> I mean, I know we talked about this last week as well, right? Like the tension that stirs up. Sometimes when we intentionally remember the first advent, it feels a little confusing. It's like that moment when I walk into my kid's room and all their dirty laundry is all over the floor. I'm like, wait, this is a clean room. We're like, we read this, oh, peace on earth. And then we go, wait, is this peace on earth? Is this, is this what the angels were promising? You know, there's all kinds of stats that I could give you. We're all aware of it. We're all aware of the lack of peace that abounds. And here's the thing, it's not just external peace. Like we're all like, right now, did you know there are more violent conflicts on the earth right now than there have in the last 30 years? It seems like violence and conflict is like ramping up. But it's not just external lack of peace, right? It's like we're witnessing it internally. We see this in our nation right now where where anxiety did you, know that, did you know that anxiety disorders, personality disorders, are the most common mental illness in the United States? They affect 40 million adults. 
Just each year, 40 million adults in our nation are affected by anxiety disorders, 18 and older. And what hasn't even get into young kids where there is a pandemic amongst young people and anxiety. And we go, man, wait, peace on earth. What, what is this? You know, Jesus spoke into this tension. He spoke into it really clearly when he would address his followers in his first coming, in his first advent. You know, one of the things that's really interesting is that in his first advent, you know, Jesus never one time said, okay, now that I'm here, there's going to be peace on earth. Now that I'm here, we're going to see peace in the entire world. Jesus never made that claim in his first advent. I know that feels kind of surprising because his title, one of his titles is the Prince of Peace. You read that in Isaiah 9. And that is who he is. And he is the Prince of Peace. But Jesus never once in his first advent said, hey, now that I'm here, I'm going to accomplish peace on earth everywhere all the time. In fact, he actually said kind of the opposite. In Matthew chapter 10, he made this claim that sometimes it makes us uncomfortable. We don't know what to do with it. Jesus actually said, hey, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And we go, wait a minute. (laughs) What happened to all that Prince of Peace stuff? Like what's going on, Jesus? If you're the Prince of Peace, why are you bringing a sword? See, Jesus had absolute clarity on what it was that he came to do in his first advent. The first time he came to earth, he knew exactly what he was here for. Jesus came to offer forgiveness of sins and salvation for humanity the first time that he came. And you go, wait, that's it? Like, what what, what do you mean? Well, in John chapter three, Jesus says it very plainly. And this is a a passage all of us know where we've seen John 3, 16 kind of plastered around somewhere. But I, I mean, sometimes I think we miss completely what Jesus is actually saying in John 3, 16. So if you want to turn over to John 3, I'm just going to read a few verses from John chapter 3 to help us understand what Jesus himself said about the purpose of his first arrival, the purpose of his first coming 2,000 years ago. Starting in verse 16, he says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that's the verse many of us have heard. It's good news. He said, he said, man, he came to have life. But then you keep reading, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's good news. He didn't necessarily come to say he was gonna be world peace right then, but he also says, I did not come to condemn the world. So what did he come for? He says, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Look at the very, very last verse of the chapter, verse 36. Jesus says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. So Jesus did not mince words. He did not come and say, hey, now that I'm here, peace on earth. He said, no, I have come to bring salvation. Jesus came with a radically, sometimes uncomfortably, exclusive claim about the salvation that he offers. He says, I come to bring salvation. And he'll say things like this, and no one comes to the Father except through me. This is the truth about what Jesus said while he was on earth. The Apostle Paul will talk about it in Colossians chapter one. He'll say this, he'll say, listen, God has made peace with humanity through the cross of Jesus, through the shedding of Jesus' blood. You see, Jesus came to make peace between God and humanity because humanity has been at war with God because we keep choosing our own way, seeking to do things on our own. And God goes, I know there's only one way 
There's only one way, and that's if I come and I make it plain. So Jesus comes and he says, here's the way. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I have come to bring salvation to all humanity. For all who will believe it, it is the best news you could possibly believe. See, Jesus, Jesus was not being arrogant here. Because that's what's heard in our culture. When, when anyone makes an exclusive claim about faith or religion or salvation, it's kind of heard as like being arrogant or closed-minded. Jesus was not arrogant or closed-minded. Jesus loves humanity. Jesus knew that there are so many competing narratives about how you attain salvation, how you attain peace, how you attain hope. In fact, I just I heard on a podcast this week, it was so interesting, a pastor from Nepal who was talking about trying to reach Buddhists and Hindus with the gospel of Jesus. He said, yeah, reaching Hindus is really interesting. He said, because, and I didn't know this, so I heard this this week. He said, he said Hindus, for Hindus, there are 330 million gods. <laughs> he says, so anytime one of my Hindu neighbors, something starts going wrong in their life, the first thing they have to do is go, okay, which of the 330 million gods did I upset this week? <laughs> and then how do I appease them? You see, Jesus knew that there would be no shortage of competing voices inviting humanity, hey, chase after this, chase, seek this, and you'll find salvation. Jesus goes, no, 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 there is only one. There's one. He said, I have come that you may know the salvation of God, the good news of God, the reconciliation of God. I have come to bring that. I and I alone bring salvation for humanity. And for those that believe it, it is incredibly good news. He says, but those who don't believe it, it will sound like bad news. But then he would say this, I think, to us as well, but those who believe it, he says, don't be surprised if things get difficult in this life once you've believed it. And this is why he says, I did not kind of bring peace, but a sword, because he understood. He goes, man, once you adopt and understand this exclusive claim of Jesus, the world will think you are divisive. They'll think you're a bigot. They'll think you're arrogant. And we're not trying, that's not our posture as followers of Jesus. We're just going, no, we think Jesus is the only hope. And we're holding it out as light and hope. But Jesus knew that it would cause division. It would cause hardship. And so we shouldn't be surprised as followers of Jesus. When we look at the world around us, we shouldn't be surprised by the amount of conflict. Because people are still rejecting the one who came to give hope and life and peace. We shouldn't be surprised by persecution. You know, 309 million Christians in the world right now face high levels of persecution. One in eight Christians in the world face imprisonment, death, loss of family, some form of high persecution. We shouldn't be surprised. Jesus says we should not be surprised by the fact that it's hard to be a follower of Jesus right now. That's what he prepared us for. And we all go, this is the worst feel-good Christmas sermon I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> But this is what Jesus says. Now, the good news here, I believe understanding the dynamic of the world, what Jesus accomplished in his first advent and understanding the dynamic of the world right now, it prepares us for understanding and it fills us. It makes it possible for us to find peace in Jesus and to have hope in what it is that he offers us. The good news is that Jesus does in fact promise peace. It's just that it doesn't always line up with our understanding. We think peace, we think absence of conflict. Jesus says, no, 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 that's not actually the kind of peace I came to give you. He speaks very plainly about it in John's gospel. If you've never read John 14, 15, and 16, I, man, I implore you, spend some time in John 14, 15, and 16. These are the three chapters where Jesus spends time talking. It's his last conversation with his closest friends. 
It is the day before he knows he's gonna be betrayed, he's gonna be falsely tried, he's gonna be beaten, he's going to be executed. He knows this is coming the next day. And Jesus will spend three chapters, it's the closest look we get to the conversation that he's having with his closest friends. And it's amazing, this whole chunk of scriptures, it's actually chapters 13 through 17 of the whole story, 14 through 16 are the conversation that he's having. And the way it's structured, I mean, 14 verse one, I love it, Jesus starts it off, this is almost like at a bookend at one end of the conversation. He says, listen, do not let your hearts be troubled. That's how he starts the conversation with them. He's like, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then look at the way that he ends the conversation. In chapter 16, verse 33, he says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. It's almost like this whole conversation is like a sandwich and this is the bread. He's like, don't let your heart be troubled. <laughs> in this world, you're gonna have trouble, but take heart. And then everything he says is like the meat that's in the middle of the sandwich, just the good stuff. And there is so much meat here. And I'm just, I'm, I beg you, spend some time in these three chapters Jesus is gonna say a whole lot of things about the Holy Spirit, about the peace that he gives us. He's gonna talk about abiding in him. There's so much good stuff about the joy he offers, but I want us to just zoom in on John chapter 14, verse 27. This is what he says. In the middle of preparing them for the trouble that's coming in this world, he says this, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This is an incredible promise. Notice what Jesus says. He says, peace. And this is not just some generic, off-the-shelf peace. What, what is the peace? He says, my peace. You want to know what kind of peace that is? It was a, the Hebrew understanding that the word was shalom. It was it wasn't just absence of conflict. In fact, shalom had so much depth of meaning. I wish we had time to go in and unpack all the ways that the Jewish person would have understood this word shalom. But really, it just communicates a sense of well-being, a sense of completeness, a sense of things being right. And Jesus goes, I want to give you my shalom, even in the midst of trouble. I don't know what the last stressful moment you had in your life or last anxiety-inducing moment was, but... And I know my tendency when I feel stressed or anxious, I want to get people around me who will listen to me talk about me and my problems. <laughs> like, hey, won't you come help me with this? Let me talk about what's going on in my life. I'm having a hard time. Look at Jesus the day before he knows he's going to be betrayed and killed. What is he focusing on? He's trying to prepare his friends by giving them peace. Can you imagine having that kind of peace that in the face of death, you're not thinking about yourself, but you actually turn to those that you love and you're trying to prepare them because you love them so much and because you are marked by a peace that goes beyond our understanding. This is what Jesus offers. He says, I wanna give you my shalom. Look at my eyes. Look at me. See how calm I am? I know I'm gonna die tomorrow. <laughs> I wanna give you this same peace. See how still my hand is? I'm not nervous. I'm not anxious. I want you to have the same peace that I have, come what may. This is the peace that Jesus offers us. Now, the question we have to ask is, wait, but how do we access that kind of peace? How do we, how do we get it? You know, the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3, he'll say this. He'll say, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. In other words, this is not a peace that's gonna come knock down the door of your heart and like suddenly take, have a hostile takeover. That's the opposite of what Jesus does. No, he says, no, let the peace in. How do we do that? 
I'm gonna tell a very abbreviated story of something that happened just this past week in my house church. I got to watch a brother in Christ let the peace of Jesus reign in his heart. And he's given me permission to share this story. I talked to him about it. Um, but it was so, so interesting. You know, our house church hadn't started yet. We were, everyone's kind of showing up on Wednesday. We're just still standing around talking in my den. And in walks this guy who's in our house church, and he is white as a ghost. He's like white as one of these chairs. And he walks in front of everybody, walks over to his wife, and he just very plainly says, hey, I just had a really bad panic attack in the car on the way here. And she's like, oh, you need to talk. He's like, yeah, let's go talk. And my wife was standing right there and she said, hey, why don't you guys just go back to one of the rooms and you guys take your time, talk about all you need to. And so they kind of disappeared. And, you know, when everyone kind of looked at each other and we weren't going, oh my goodness, I wonder what happened. What's going on? It was just kind of like, oh, should, should we keep going? Yeah, let's keep going. Let's do what we're going to do. And so we made some decisions of what we were going to do and how we we're going to keep moving. And apparently on the way to house church, he just had an intense panic attack. He literally had to pull his car over. He was hyperventilating, like couldn't quite function. He had to let, there was a guy with him in our house church, they carpooled together. And he had to say, hey, let me drive. They had to swap places and he drove the rest of the way. So we started our house church. We're going about, and about, it was almost an hour and a half later, this guy and his wife come back out and they join us. And I was so amazed by what he did. He came in, he sat in our midst. We were in the process of praying for one another and he sat down amongst us and he just said, he said, hey, I just want you guys to understand what happened. He said, I've, I've dealt with anxiety for a lot, of, a lot in my life. He's like, and there's some things going on right now that if I'm not careful, I can allow myself to fixate on too much. And I think that's just happened. And it just kind of culminated in this panic attack tonight. And um, I would love it if you guys could pray for me. And we just got around him. We put hands on him. We prayed for him and encouraged him. And I watched him embrace the shalom of Jesus. There was nothing magical about the moment. There was not some, like, it was just, I watched him. It was so simple. How do we let the peace of Christ reign in our hearts? I think we've, we've swerved into two ditches too often in our culture. One, or in, in the church, one ditch is this, that we, we swerve and we go, hey, the Bible says don't be anxious. The Bible says don't let your heart be troubled, so don't be anxious. And if you're anxious, just knock it off. <laughs> Pray harder, trust God more, pull yourself together. Like you're not supposed to be anxious, don't be anxious. And when we take this posture, it communicates to anyone who ever feels anxiety that they should be ashamed of themselves. What's wild is that in John chapter 13, right before Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled, John 13, 21, it says that Jesus was greatly troubled in spirit. <laughs> Jesus himself, it says he was troubled in spirit. So clearly the answer is to say, never be troubled, never have anxiety, never have anxious thoughts. I think that's one ditch we've swerved into, but there's another ditch that we're guilty sometimes of swinging into in the church. And it's where we go, well, I mean, I guess anxiety is just part of life. Everybody's anxious these days. Everybody's got anxiety disorders. I guess I'm just supposed to deal with it. I guess it's always going to be here. I just have to learn to deal with it. The problem when we do that, when we just say, I have to learn to deal with it, is we often will look anywhere and everywhere to just learn to cope with it. We think we have to learn to cope with anxiety. And so the moment we get anxious, we turn to things like Netflix or some other senseless media to try to soothe our hearts. Or we turn to alcohol to try to soothe us. Or we turn to marijuana. Or we turn to spending money. Or we turn to unhealthy relationships. Like we turn to any number one of these things to go, man, oh, well, I'm not really, I don't have any peace right now, so I'm just gonna ask for peace. I'm just gonna turn. And we learn to cope with any number of things that help us cope. But what I watched on Wednesday night in my house church was just so beautiful. It was so simple. He came 
He gave it to community. He and his wife sought the Lord together. When they went back to our room, they just prayed and they asked God, God, will you reveal what is causing this anxiety in his life? He was able to name it with his wife. They didn't spend four hours talking about all the reasons that made him anxious. The Lord helped him name where the anxiety was coming from and they prayed together and asked the Lord to take it off. And then he came back out and he named it in the context of community. This is what happens in John 13. Jesus was greatly troubled in spirit, and then the next words are, so he testified. He shared with his friends what was causing him the trouble in his spirit. Beloved, I I believe what the Lord is inviting us into is in the midst of the trouble of the world, the invitation is to bear one another's burdens. We need each other. We need each other. We need to walk with one another in the face of the troubles and the anxieties of this life and bring it all to the feet of Jesus who promises to give us his shalom. What we didn't do that night, we didn't tell my brother, we didn't say, hey, okay, we've prayed for you. You should never feel anxiety again. (laughs) We didn't do that. We prayed for him. We watched him embrace the peace of Jesus. I called him the next day. He had a job interview. I was checking in with him. He's like, yeah, I felt a little nervous. We prayed again about it. We walk together arm in arm. We submit all of our requests to the Lord and we bear one another's burdens. And Jesus says, my peace, I give you. I don't give as the world gives. Take it, it's yours. As we remember, as we intentionally remember the first advent, I think what we're invited to remember is Jesus came to bring reconciliation between God and humanity. And he is awaiting a time where he will come and everything will be made right. But in the in-between, he is patient and wanting all people to come to knowledge of the good news of the salvation of Jesus. And he's waiting and waiting. And in the midst of it, we are waiting. And if we will be a people who will bear the shalom of Jesus, the world around us will see and we get to testify to the goodness of who he is by the way we bear one another's burdens and by the way we trust him and bring everything to his feet. He says, my peace I give you. My shalom I give you. I want to give it to you. And so we intentionally remember. But see, at Advent, we don't just intentionally remember. We also intentionally anticipate. Jesus didn't say, hey, you know, when he said this whole section, when you read this, he keeps talking about how he is coming back. He's coming back. Jesus is coming back. And the Bible is full of imagery, of of pictures of what it will be like when Christ returns. That what the angels proclaimed at his birth was not a lie or a misunderstanding. They knew the logical conclusion of the outcome of Jesus being king of kings. I think one of the most beautiful pictures that we get of this, of what it will be like when Christ returns as we intentionally anticipate comes from Isaiah chapter 2. The reality is the Hebrew scriptures are full of prophetic imagery of what it will be like when Christ returns. But Isaiah 2 is one of the most beautiful. It's one of my favorites. This is what Isaiah Isaiah writes in chapter 2, verse 2. He says, in the last days. I want to pause right there. I think sometimes there's this tendency to think, oh, this is an Old Testament prophecy. So that's already been fulfilled. Jesus did that. Beloved, There are so many prophetic words in the Hebrew scriptures that are yet to be fulfilled. Isaiah says, this is about the last days, the latter days, the end. He says, in the last, this is yet to be fulfilled. He says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways 
so that we may walk in his paths. And the law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. This is the promise of scripture that when Christ returns, the peace he has given us will be completely fulfilled as peace on earth. What the New Testament says over and over again is when you experience the peace of Christ, you're experiencing the deposit of the Holy Spirit in your life. The deposit, it is, it is a deposit guaranteeing what we are yet to inherit. <laughs> so when, my brother, when I watched my brother Wednesday night let the peace of Christ rule in his heart, what I was witnessing was a down payment, a deposit of what is yet to come. That when Christ is revealed, when Christ returns, he will usher in an all-encompassing shalom, a completeness, a renewal, where everything will be made right. We will be ushered into a state of well-being with the rest of creation. Those who put their hope in Jesus, who believe in the salvation that he offers, he's going, hey, I've got so much that I'm about to bring and I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you. Will you, will you believe that I'm holding this out for you? Because in the midst of trouble, I'll give you my peace and it will stir your heart to hope that one day I will bring peace on earth, the peace that Jesus brings at the very end. It will be mediated by none other than Jesus himself when he returns. The peace, the return of Jesus, it does not usher in some disembodied spiritual state where we float on the clouds. No, no, no. The promise of scripture is that the return of Jesus ushers in the renewal of heaven and earth. That this picture in Isaiah is what we will witness when Christ returns. The fullness of his shalom extended to all of creation and all who have put their hope and their trust in him. And I believe this belief in the coming peace, it anchors us now. It helps us understand what it is that we're hoping for. And when we ask for peace, we understand, man, he's ready. He's gonna give it to us. He longs to still our hearts as we anticipate and fix our eyes on the day when he returns. This is the hope of Advent. This is the peace of Advent, the down payment now and the hope for the fulfillment yet to come. So here's, here's what I want us to do. We just, we just want to let our hearts just fixate on this peace. And so I want to encourage you, go ahead and get your communion supplies if you have that. If, if you're watching at home, if you're still with us, go ahead and grab your communion. Go ahead and get that ready. I want to invite everybody here. If you have not grabbed communion, it's on the bar. It's on the tables around here. You can go ahead and grab that and bring it back to your seat. Those of you that have it already, go ahead and open it up and open it up, peel back that little cellophane layer and, and open up the cup. I'm gonna invite everybody to stand as we get ready to take communion together. Listen to these words from Colossians chapter one. The apostle Paul is reflecting on what you hold in your hands right now. 
reflecting on what it is, what it means, what it does, what it accomplishes. He says this, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. Just let that settle in. Advent, we remember the coming of Jesus. He says, God was pleased to have all of his fullness, the fullness of the Almighty God dwelling in Jesus. He was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, everything, whether things on earth or things in heaven. He did this by making peace. There it is, there's that word. He did this by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We have access to the shalom of Jesus because he shed his blood, because of he gave of himself. In the midst of the hardest moment, he thought of those around him. He shed his blood for us and he promises, my peace I give you. It's for you. His peace is for you. His peace is for you. It's for you. So I want you to close your eyes for a minute. Lord, in our hearts, we bring you every source of anxiety or worry. Lord, we bring it to you. Lord, we bring you all the, just the mess of the world right now. We bring it to you. And oh, Lord, fill our hearts with hope. Right now, whatever troubles we are facing, whatever we're hard pressed, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name, through your spirit, because of the cross, will you fill us with your peace? I pray you'd still every heart in the room. We would be marked by your peace, by your shalom. I want to invite everyone just to repeat after me as you hold the bread, as you hold the cup. Say, this is the body of Jesus given for me, given for us. This is the blood of Jesus spilled for me, spilled for us. Jesus, thank you for the peace that you offer. Jesus, give me peace. Jesus, let your peace come. Let your peace fill the earth. Come, Lord, come. Let's take the bread and the cup together.